Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Hello, everyone. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, I'm Gemma. Uh, I've been coming to this church for almost five years now. Uh, In fact, I was baptized by Viv and Steve right there. Um, I feel very blessed to call this church my home. It is my privilege to be kicking off our Summer in the Psalms series today. The Book of Psalms is a collection of, of 150 ancient, beautiful, and challenging poems and prayers. They are full of references to the Old Testament stories and full of prophetic words. These have been prayed by many, many people for well over 2,000 years. Many psalms, like the one we'll look at today, were written to be sung by the choir in the temple to accompany worship. It's quite hard to pinpoint exactly when each was written, but many were written around the time of David. David himself wrote many of these poems and prayers, but the one we're studying today was written by Asaph, a man commissioned by David to sing in the temple. These psalms did not stay as the prayers of individuals, but became prayers for us as a community. Asaph did not keep this prayer in his personal notebook. He wrote it for the choir. It is not a journal entry, And it's not a summary of Asaph's actions in the moment. Asaph wrote this carefully, reflecting on his experiences, knowing it would be important for others to read, sing, and pray. When we read it, we may not relate to or feel like Asaph seems to in the moment. And that's okay, because he probably didn't feel like that in the moment either. Now, you might think I would have chosen a nice, pleasant psalm to start off our series, but no. Um, That's not where I'm most often drawn to in the Bible. This psalm is not a simple one. In fact, it is an emotional wrestling match. This psalm is all about journeying with God and how we can decide to have faith in him even in the most troubling of times. I was Googling uh, definitions of faith in preparation for this sermon. One definition I found was having complete trust or confidence in something or someone. I quite like that. Another description of faith I like, but I'm challenged by, is this one. Come up on screen. Magic. Yeah, so this is one that was found in my granny's Bible after she died. I don't know if it's based on something or if she wrote it herself, but she was very wise, so I fully expect it was the latter. My granny lived through the Second World War. She had her house bombed, and later in her life she experienced grief. She lived through a lot. But she remained a woman of faith with deep trust in the Lord. She said this, faith is the consequence of a journey through doubt, grief, 
bewilderment and disappointment. It is not a cheap substitute or rising above these. We are not expected to disengage our minds or forget our emotions in order to have faith. Embrace disappointments. Express to him your fears. Face your doubts. Ask questions relentlessly. Relate to God on the basis of rugged reality and you will hear him call your name. After all my granny had been through, I am amazed that she talked about faith and God in this way. I read this and think, how did she get to be like that? I want to be like that at the end of my life. Perhaps you know people in your life who have these kinds of testimonies, but you have no idea how you get there. It feels like a different reality to the one we live in, maybe even a different Christianity. Well, this morning, I think Psalm 77 holds some clues as to how to become a person of faith of God like my granny. I believe this psalm gives us an insight into the fight it takes to build up faith in God and his goodness, especially when the situation you are in leaves you feeling lost, troubled, or lonely. Let's dive in. I'll read it now. This is the NIV translation of Psalm 77. It should come... Oh, look at that beautiful big writing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirits grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. 
You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is really a psalm with two parts. Did you, did you notice that? It starts off in deep, deep anguish and then seems to turn to praise about halfway through. It's a bit weird. Let's look at the beginning. The psalmist starts off in what seems a pit of despair. He says, I cried out. I was too troubled to speak. This is a man stricken with pain, with grief. There's something deeply distressing. We don't know what it is, but it's deeply sad. He was rendered speechless by his troubles. And the pain that he's in doesn't seem to be going away. He repeats that he cried out to God. He reached out with untiring hands. He was awake through the night, perhaps many nights. And he would not be comforted. For all his vulnerability, honesty, and cries to God, there doesn't seem to be an answer for him. How much can you relate to Asaph here? Life is hard, and the world we live in is chaotic. We've all been through a pandemic. At some point, we've all experienced or will experience disappointment. Some of us have experienced loss. Some of us have pain or illnesses that we just can't shift. Some of us have been waiting on God to answer our prayers for a short time, and some have been waiting a lifetime. My point here is that the psalm starts with raw emotion. This is not a situation where we can automatically shout, Hallelujah, God is good. Asaph is overwhelmed with emotion and he is asking God for his help with no clear answer. This is not a comfortable place for any of us. It can be so hard to face these kinds of thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and then to bring them before God. And it's even tougher to maintain a belief that God is good when he is nowhere to be seen. It is no surprise, therefore, that Asaph begins to doubt. In Asaph's anguish, he begins to ask these questions about God. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? I find it interesting here that he doesn't ask if God even exists. This seems to be beyond his realm of thinking. Today, though, in our culture, I think it could easily come into the mix. In the type of emotional state and situation that Asaph is in, it might be quite understandable to doubt God, and at the very least, his goodness. It might have been easy to dwell on these questions, but Asaph doesn't do this. He doesn't dwell on this for the rest of the psalm. In fact, rather than leaving these questions unanswered, the rest of the psalm seems to offer a resounding no to each of these questions. At this point, Asaph's direction and tone changes dramatically. He starts talking to God. He says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. He declares God's greatness. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? Why and how 
does Asaph make this jump in his psalm? His situation hasn't changed, and yet the mood and tone of the psalm does seem to change quite significantly. What Asaph references in the rest of the psalm may give us some clues. He remembers the Exodus event. So we're going to go back and look at the story in detail and see what we can glean. What is so convincing in this story to turn Asaph from doubt to praise? We're going back to the beginning of Exodus, the most famous story in the Old Testament. And why I want to start here is because I think it says some pretty important things about God's character. Exodus 1 verse 7 gives us some context. The Israelites are in Egypt and were blessed. They were multiplying and growing exceedingly strong. But Pharaoh, king of Egypt, began to feel threatened by their flourishing. He set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. Eventually, after a long time, this Pharaoh died. But the Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. Some may know what comes next, either because you've read the story before or you've seen The Prince of Egypt. <laughs> I, I love that film, but it does, does miss out some important things. Um, yeah, so Moses goes to find his lost sheep and then seeing this bush on fire, he turns aside and God calls out, Moses, Moses. Imagine God calling your name like that. And in chapter three, the Lord said this, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. And I'm jumping ahead a little. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God goes on to answer Moses' protestations and questions. And this is where God's name, Yahweh, is revealed to Moses. More than just the name, this sums up God's character. It sums up that God keeps his promises and is the same yesterday, today, and forever. At this point, God has heard his people cry out and has come to, down to do something about it. So let's see what God did. Ten plagues were unleashed, each one intentionally chosen to communicate victory over the gods of Egypt. Pharaoh finally relented and said, go. God then led the Israelites towards the Red Sea. Pharaoh, though, changed his mind, and he chased after them with an army of chariots and officers. Caught between the Red Sea and the advancing Egyptians, the Israelites, again in great fear, cry out to God. Again, God has instructions for Moses. Chapter 14. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. The waters were divided. 
The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Caught between the sea and an angry army feels like a moment that I would cry out to the Lord. <laughs> there is no way out in that scenario. But God opened up the sea to provide a way out. There is so much going on in the, in the story. For this morning, though, I suggest we focus on three things I think this account tells us about God. One, God hears his people when they cry out. Two, God, I am, or Yahweh, keeps his promises to all generations. Three, God moves in unexpected ways. God partners with Moses, someone who protests and questions, even asks God to send somebody else. With Moses, God made a way through the sea. Now, some of you may be thinking, hold on, <laughs> we've just covered a lot about Exodus, but I thought this was about Psalm 77. So which is it, Exodus or Psalm 77? Well, it's both. Because for Asaph, it was both. His prayer was loaded with detail and imagery of the Exodus that would have been known to him and those who sang his prayer. This story was as central to the Jewish mindset as Easter is to the Christian one. How many times would Asaph have heard the story, read it and told it? How many Passover celebrations would there have been in his life to commemorate God's goodness and deliverance? The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed, Asaph says. The very depths were convulsed. This is what Asaph is remembering in his psalm. In good times and bad, the story of God's goodness endures. This knowledge of God's character and desire to move for his people is what Asaph's faith, his trust, his confidence was built on. This leads me to ask, what is our faith built on today? The Exodus story foreshadowed something even greater that was to come. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God's one and only Son. When researching for this sermon, I happened to stumble across this quote from P.T. Forsyth, a Scottish theologian around in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And I just wept. The quote was this. No reason of man can justify God in a world like this. He must justify himself, and he did so in the cross of his son. I wept because God didn't have to do that. He chose to do that, because that's his nature, the depth of his love for us. And it wasn't easy. In Luke chapter 22, 42 to 44, we read that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, so afraid that his sweat became like blood, did not hold back from making this clear to his father. Yet he declared, not my will, but yours. He was crucified. It looked like the end for his disciples. 
Imagine following the man you have been praying for, the Messiah, and watching him suffer the worst kind of death imaginable. But that was not the end. Jesus rose again on the third day, fulfilling the scriptures, and appeared to his disciples before ascending to be with God in heaven. When it looked like it was the end, it wasn't the end. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is who we can build our faith, our trust and confidence upon. Who we can call in on in times of trouble and have faith that, though we, though we face many battles, he has won the war. So what does all this mean for us today? The journey that Asaph goes on in his psalm, that Jesus went on in the Mount of Olives, is not an easy one. How much faith and intimacy with God does it take to trust him and the fact that he is good when you are in pain or when you are grieving? This is not an attitude and choice made in the heat of the moment. This is a result of time spent with God and deep knowledge of his word. My dad once told me that faith is like a compass and map. You have to practice with it in the good weather so that you can rely on it in the bad. I think what Asaph is showing in us in his psalm is that we need to meditate on who God is in the good times so that we can declare it in the bad times. We need to meditate on who God is in the good times so that we can declare it in the bad times. How do we do that? I don't think I'm going to say anything groundbreaking here that you won't have heard before, but these things can take courage and commitment to start, and maybe God has an invitation for you here. Asaph's psalm is packed full of references to many, many Old Testament references. He would have known the scriptures intimately. The scriptures were his evidence base, where he went back to understand God's character and to find evidence of his goodness. This is our evidence base too. Thinking back to my granny's bookmark with her description of faith, I think it was no coincidence that it was found nestled in the pages of her well-worn Bible. The Bible has so many descriptions of God's mighty acts. At the end of John's Gospel, he says, there are many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose the whole world would not be big enough for all the books that would be written. There may be some hyperbole in there, I don't know. Um, but it gives you a clue as to how many miracles we can find in what's written. Let's study, meditate on, and learn who God is through his word to us. The Bible can look big and scary, especially if you haven't studied it before. A great place to start could be Psalm 77. I hope today is just the start of your meditation and study of the scripture. There's so much to cover that we haven't had time for today. Read it, pray it, sing it. Take time to slow down and just meditate on it. Be gentle with yourself. Be curious about the words and see what comes up for you. I'm going to call up the band now. Thank you. 
If you are in the midst of sorrow and grief, if your prayers are not being answered, if you are wrestling with doubts, we have many people here who would love to pray for you. If you haven't stepped forward for prayer before, there's nothing special about this area. We just use it as a space to stand and pray for people who want it. And whilst we are absolutely here for you, we are looking at God. Sometimes in the depths of, our, of grief or sorrow, it can feel impossible to turn to God and to declare that he is good. We do not have to bear our troubles alone. We are a community, a family. We can help one another remember God's character when it feels too hard to do it on our own. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.